number of weeks, and there we go. And uh, we also been looking at uh, three minor prophets through the summer and now uh, these two weeks in, in the fall. Next week, we begin a new series of messages in Ephesians. And so uh, today, our last lesson on Malachi, Hope in Ruins, a study in the minor prophets. And uh, I'd like to read for you Malachi 3, verse 13. Your words, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them and took a remembrance and took a book of remembrance. The book was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They, sh- they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act as the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I've commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. The Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Least I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. God's uh, word for us here uh, this morning. The word weary, the word weary means tired or exhaustion. exhaustion. Uh, we can think of physical weariness. We can think of someone weary by not getting enough sleep or running 10 or 20 miles or parents who have young children and are always tired. We can think of, we can also think of mental weariness. We can think of um, just a stressful day at school or a stressful day at work, and we're just mentally exhausted. We can also think of spiritual, spiritual weariness. Life, Ryan mentioned that in, in his prayer, life can become hard. Life can become hard, and, and we don't always see God answering prayers uh, in, in our timetable. Uh, spiritual habits, spiritual disciplines become routine. We, we find ourselves just going through the motions sometimes, through the religious practices, through life. 
Malachi, the book of Malachi here, he is talking to a people, he is addressing a people who are spiritually weary. That's one of the themes here in Malachi. One of the themes, it is this, it's, it's, when, it's when life grows weary. When life grows weary. It's the setting, post-exile here. It's after the 70-year captivity. The people are returning to Jerusalem. Ezra, with Ezra, the temple walls have been rebuilt. With, with uh, Nehemiah, the, the walls of Jerusalem have been rebuilt. There's... Ref- there's there's just an excitement in the air or fork. They can't contain themselves. They're so happy. God has returned to his people Israel and he will make Israel a great nation once again, a nation above all nations. It's a mountaintop experience here. And, and And yet God's taking too long too long in their thinking. It's taking too long for, for all the quote, quote, good stuff to happen. Why, why is God delaying? Why is, why is he silent? Why is he silent? And, and, and so, you know, he's not acting fast enough. So they begin to complain, 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 complain. And they're growing weary of God. They're growing weary of just going through the religious ceremonies, walking through those religious ceremonies. They're getting tired of it. And they become very, very cynical. Very cynical. And within this culture, within this setting, God sends the prophet Malachi. Now, now, Malachi has a very interesting style of writing. When we think of a, when we think of a literary device here, think of Q&A. It's not quite, quite correct, but think of Q&A. The, the prophet makes a statement, or God makes a statement, and then the people respond with a question, usually very cynical, very sarcastic, and then God answers answers that question. We find that over and over again. Just turn with me to chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord says, I have, I have loved you. And then you have this little phrase that occurs over and over. But you say, but you say, how have we loved? How have you loved us? And then 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But then again, but you say... Again, usually that, that question, the people's response, very, very cynical, sarcastic. And then God replies. And that's exactly what we have. That, that occurs a number of times in this letter. And that's what we have here in 3 verse 13. Again, I'll just read those verses. Your words, the Lord is saying this, your words have been hard against me. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, you have said, and now this is what the people are saying, it is vain, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And this is also what they say. And now we call the arrogant blessed evildoers 
not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Remarkable. 3 verse 13, your words have been hard against me. That word hard uh, is is an interesting Hebrew word. It it means harsh. That's what the, the idea behind hard is here. Harsh, very harsh. It's a word that speaks of rebellion, of blasphemy. It's profane. It's offensive. And the people respond with this question, how have we, they go, how have we spoken against you? Notice the sarcasm here, as if they didn't know. As if they didn't know. And then notice what else they say here, which is remarkable. This idea, you have said it is vain to serve the Lord. Can you, again, the sarcasm, the, the, the thought here, as if they didn't know what they were saying. Vain. It's useless in serving the Lord. That's what they're saying. It's pointless in serving God. And then verse 15 is very, very, very sharp. It's it's as if they are now giving blessings upon evil. Verse 15, and now you call the arrogant blessed. They give a beatitude on evil. The arrogant, you, you, you bless the arrogant. You bless evildoers. You bless people who test the Lord. Remarkable. That's what they're saying. Yes, their words are very hard and harsh toward God. But notice the answer, the Q&A here. The answer is verse 16 and then following all the way through chapter 4. God's answer. And you know what God says? Oh, I'm not indifferent. I'm not indifferent. I'm not apathetic. I'm not unresponsive. No, not at all. I'm not unconcerned, uncaring. Don't call my patience for you a lack of desire or a lack of concern. Don't call my patience with you a lack of concern. And these words are very similar to Peter in 2 Peter 3 verse uh, 19, or excuse me, 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wanting, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach salvation. God's silence does not mean he's sleeping or indifferent. No, no, no. His timetable is just different than ours. And even here in Malachi and through the whole Old Testament, God, the God of grace, continues over and over again to come to a wayward people. His desire, Abba Father, his desire is that they would have relationship with him. He wants to restore them. He wants to redeem them. He is not indifferent. He's patient, patient, and patient. And so how does this work out? This thought that, that God says, I'm not indifferent. Notice with me, notice with me verse 16. God says in our text, I'm listening. I hear, I hear my children, the faithful ones, those who fear me and esteem my name. Very interesting. This group in verse 16 is not the same group as in verse 13 through 15. Not at all. Not all Israel is cynical, sarcastic, and contemptuous. No, not at all. 
This group in verse 16 is a faithful remnant. Isn't it wonderful how it's said there? God, God sees, God hears that the faithful huddled together are talking and praying. The faithful remnant. God hears them. Isn't that encouraging? God hears them. He hears the, the prayers of his children. He hears them. And he hears their prayers. But then notice also, not only does he hear their prayer, God's not indifferent. He's hearing. He's, he's, he's seeing it all. Hearing it all. He also says, I will act. I will act. And you can count on it. Because I'm God. You can count on it that I will act. The day, the day is coming. Now this day is very interesting, this word day in this context. Five times the word day is in our text this morning. Five times. And uh, it has a long history of the minor prophets. Amos, the prophet Amos, was the very first one to use that little word, or the day of the Lord. Amos 5, verse 18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into his house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. It is not a day, it is not the day of the Lord, is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? In the Old Testament, it was understood that this day, this day would, would, would be a time when God would come as a victor. The Jewish people were looking forward to a day when God would come as a victor and destroy and annihilate all their enemies. But interestingly enough, see, he would be, he would be victor. But Amos gives it a twist. He, he says, not only is God coming in judgment to the, un, you know, the heathen, the ungodly nations, but beware. He's also coming for the ungodly in Israel. It would be a judgment day, too, for them. Amos is saying in my own words here, my paraphrasing, hey, Israel, be careful what you vote for or what you wish for. (laughs) You know, you too, you too, you too will come under that day, a day of darkness, not light. And so here in Malachi, This day here is a day of judgment. But even for Malachi, there's another little twist. It's not just a day of judgment for the ungodly. It's a day of joy for the faithful. And that comes out in our text. I'll first talk about the judgment here. Notice chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. My goodness, not not a pretty picture. The contrast here between the righteous and the wicked is clear and unmistaken. We can just think of Psalm 1, verse 3. The righteous, the person who delights in God, the person who delights in the law of the Lord, he is like a tree planted, it says. He is like a tree planted by, um, 
by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. A contrast, 4 verse 1. The contrast, the wicked, picture like a burned up tree. And it says here, leaving him neither root nor branch. Again, the figure of speech is very clear. The day is coming. You can count on it. And judgment will be coming. Now, so points to remember, points to ponder here when we talk about judgment and the church of Jesus Christ, even here this morning. God's judgments in Scripture are never arbitrary. They're never random. They're never accidental. Not at all. So important for us to say that very loudly and clearly and, and, and with humility. God's judgments are never arbitrary and random and accidental. Scripture's clear. People suppress the truth. They spurn God's grace. The God of grace extends himself over and over again with grace toward his people. His desire in scripture is to restore and to redeem, to bring people into fellowship with him, to give them life. To give them life. That's the story of the scriptures. However, there comes a point in time when God says, okay, you know, have it your way. Have it your way. But know this. You're accountable. You're accountable for your actions. You're accountable. And, 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 and someday, I'm the creator You're the creation. I am holy. I am just and I am fair. And someday there's going to be a day of reckoning. Oh, you may deny it. You may, you know, uh, 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 push it aside. But you are accountable. I'm the creator. And someday you're going to stand before me. And that is is the word of, of the Lord. We're accountable. Again, in Scripture, God's judgments are never arbitrary. But notice this judgment, the day of the Lord. Judgment, not a topic we like to talk about, but is there in Scripture. But secondly, this day is joy. It's joy. Joy for the faithful. Notice what God says there in chapter 3, verse 17. He calls his faithful ones mind. The beautiful little phrase. And then he goes on to say, they're going to be called my treasured possession. People are going to be called God's treasured possession. Not stuff, not things. People. People. Remarkable. There's a remarkable little phrase there. And so these, this, this word, this phrase, I should say, treasured possession, it goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 19. God had redeemed people, God's Israel out of Egypt. He brought them to, to Mount Sinai. It's before the, the, he gave the Ten Commandments. There, God calls his covenant people his treasured possession. And he's saying to them, they're my beloved they're my, they're my precious. Now just think how, think how uh, comforting these words are and were to the people, the faithful people in Malachi's day. They're hearing God say, you who are faithful, you're my treasured possession. All the way back, and they remember, that's right. 
This is the God that redeemed us out of Egypt. This is the God who has been with us all throughout history. This God is here today. He's with us. A word of comfort. A word of comfort. And then notice verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 2. The faithful, this joy, the faithful will experience God's healing, healing like the sun, S-U-N, the sun of righteousness. God's glory and God's presence will shine upon them on that day, on that day that it reveals himself. And notice the figure of speech that Malachi uses here. It's a, it's a very unique little phrase. 4 verse 2, he says, he says this, this is how it will be. You will go out leaping like calves from the stall. Interesting, interesting phrase. I grew up on a dairy farm, and um, in, in the wintertime, we would have calves in stalls inside the barn. But come springtime, come springtime, we would let them loose, and we'd have to almost sometimes push them out the door. There'd be a fenced-in area outside, and we'd push them out. And I can still, in my mind's eye, interesting enough as a little boy, my mind's eye, I can still see this happening. Sometimes my, my dad and my older brothers would even call the rest of the family because it was kind of an event. And we would come and watch. And again, some of the, some of the calves had to be pushed out. It's like the first time they're outside. And all of a sudden, <laughs> they start running and jumping and leaping and going crazy. That's what Malachi is saying to us on the day of the Lord when God reveals himself to us, when it will be a day of grace and salvation, we will leap for joy. Isn't that remarkable? I hear amen. Amen. We'll leap for joy. It's just, just a remarkable thought. And so God is saying, when I come and I will, you can count on it. You, my treasured possession, you're going to leap for joy. I did not forget you, you faithful ones. I did not forget you. I heard you. I heard you. And I'm a God of promise, and I keep my promises. You're my beloved. This day will be glorious. It will be hope fulfilled. And so, and so in light of this, how should we live? That's the title of my message this morning. That was all just introduction. No, only, only kidding, only kidding. Um, but here's the question for us. How should we live in, in, in light of this? And think of those faithful, faithful remnant there in Malachi's day. How should they live as they wait for this day of the Lord? How should they wait? Well, number one here, they need to remember they need to remember. It's a call to remembrance. 4 verse 4. Remember the, the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I've commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Horeb here is another name for Mount Sinai. Now this is exactly why Malachi wrote this letter to, to the people of the Lord. Remember. Remember the God of grace. Remember. Put on your memory caps here and think back how, how God loves you. Verse one, verse, chapter 1, verse 2 is one of the key verses in the book where God says, I have loved you. 
I have loved you. I've poured myself out for you. And, and, and the, the idea here is that in response to God's abounding grace, when we remember what God has done for us, we respond in grace and with gratitude. We offer, going through the whole book of Malachi here, we offer acceptable worship, sacrifices of worship. We, 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 we deem it very necessary to have humility and integrity and leadership. We're, we're faithful and want to be faithful in marriage. We, we want to practice just justice. We, we want to give generously because that's who our God is. God is generous. And so again, when we remember this great God who is a God of grace and what he has done for us, and he did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves, he's lavished us with all sorts of blessings, we respond. We respond again in gratitude. God's law and rules always follow his grace. It's always important in the Old Testament. Exodus and redemption came before the law, Mount Sinai. God always took the lead. He always was the first mover, grace. And due to his grace, we remember. We remember his redemption. We respond in gratitude. And that's one reason why we take the Lord's Supper. We take it every Sunday. We take it every Sunday. One reason, many different reasons, but one reason is because it forces us in some way. I'm not sure the word is force is correct, but it forces us to remember what God did for us in Christ. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. He, he broke his body. He shed his blood. The perfect one for the imperfect one for our sins. It's a call, it's a call to, to remembrance. We, we never want to forget God's grace. I've been thinking about this this past week. This idea of remembering is our calling. I'm, I'm not sure anyone has ever written this. Maybe someday Ryan will write a book, or maybe I'll try, to, to write on the, a spiritual discipline called remembrance. <laughs> it's very, very important that God's people, that we Remember what God has done for us. And then also we have here, you know, how should we live in the meantime through this process? We need to remember what God did for us. We also live with hope, with hope. Four and five, verses four and five, chapter four. God is a God, it says here, of promise, and he keeps his promises. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. These words are very similar to Malachi 3.1, where we read the words, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. God makes a promise here to his people. Before I come, that big day, before I come, I'm going to send another prophet, another messenger before that big day. And God kept his promise. Some 400 years later, God kept his promise. He sent John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist is one who fulfills these verses. We hear it in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus himself says these words, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. For all the prophets and the law prophesied unto John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah. He is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. John fulfills this prophecy. Now, just a word aside here about Old Testament prophecies. They can, they can really be a challenge to interpret. And any good Bible student, serious Bible student will know, oh, mercy, when it comes to some Old Testament prophecies, uh, where, where, where do we see those fulfilled, those prophecies? And, and one thing that's really important is often one prophecy will have multiple fulfillments. And I, I like it like this. I, I think of it as looking at a mountain range from afar. From afar, when we look at a mountain range, it, it looks just like one range, but one closer proximity, when we get up to it, we realize there's, there's one hill, one range, and then another range, and another range. And, and sometimes that's the way it is with prophecies in the Old Testament as they're fulfilled. And so many prophecies in the Old Testament, especially Old Testament time here going forward, is that at that time, in the prophet's time and era, in the Old Testament, the prophecy was fulfilled. But number two, often we see this in Scripture, the prophecy is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. It's the first coming of Jesus Christ and the New Testament. But then three, some of the prophecies touch on that, but then also point to Christ's second coming, new heavens and a new earth. Always a challenge again in prophecy. Here, here, uh, it's rather clear. This prophecy was fulfilled in John the Baptist. The, the one who prepared the way of the Lord. This little phrase, who prepared the way of the Lord. All the Gospels, all four Gospels have that little phrase. John the Baptist who came to prepare the way of the Lord. John pointed to Christ. And his ministry, his ministry, his message was one of repentance. He said this about Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God who comes, who came to take away the sins of the world. And he said, I must decrease, but this Jesus, this Jesus must increase. So it's interesting, this, this prophet, back to Elijah, he, he, he will come and he will turn the hearts, fathers to children and children to, to their fathers. Interesting enough, that word heart, that word heart, it's what John did and said and preached, but also it's the ministry of Jesus Christ who came to touch lives, to touch hearts, to transform hearts, transform lives. In Christ, there's grace and forgiveness, newness of life. Hearts we see in the ministry of Jesus through his death and resurrection, we see people's lives restored. Children, parents. We see uh, uh, people's lives reconciled and renewed. It is the gospel, the gospel of grace. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. It's a new heart, transformed heart. 
Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verse 18, for through him we both, both there, Jew and Gentile, we both have access to one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers, aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. John's ministry was to introduce this Jesus, this Jesus who restores relationships and in Christ brings and establishes a new community, a new society. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Christ restores relationships. John the Baptist is the one who came, pointed to Jesus, and it's Jesus who brought that ministry of reconciliation, restoring family and relationships. So now, brothers and sisters, what do we, what do we see in this text? What do we see in this text in conclusion? What do we see? God is not indifferent. God is not indifferent. His timetable is different than ours is not indifferent. Not at all. He hears the prayers of his children. What a comfort that is for us this morning. Secondly, he keeps his word. He keeps his promises. And we can count on it. <laughs> we can count on it. He will keep his promises. Thirdly, he will act. He'll come in judgment. People, people are accountable. But then lastly, he will rescue us and he will make us his treasured possession. People of God, it's time to leap for joy. It's time to leap. In Christ, we found forgiveness. In Christ, we found the new identity. In Christ, we found the new family. In Christ, we have a new hope. It's time to leap. Now, again, we're not sure how to do that in a worship service. I don't think I want to try. But think about that. Think it through figuratively. How do we leap for joy because of the salvation that God has given us? So, brothers and sisters, it's time to leap. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you again. Thank you again for your word and your word can be um, deep and it can be sharp but thank you that you're honest with us Lord God and thank you Lord thank you that you are not indifferent thank you thank you that that you are not indifferent that your, that your patience, that your patience with us is not a lack of your concern. And so, Lord, even, even now, this morning, if there's, there's someone here this morning who, who's, um, who has just found you to be very distant, it's a season where you are distant, it's a valley, and you seem silent, Oh, Lord, speak to them this morning. May they know that you hear their prayers. 
You have not forgotten them. You have not forgotten them. You're God of promise. And in your, in your timetable, in your way, you will answer in your way, your timetable. Oh, Father, thank you for the hope that you give us. Thank you that that you are a God of promise. You keep your promises. Uh, You make prophecies, and and, and they were fulfilled in the New Testament, in John the Baptist, but also in Christ. And, And we can look and we can see now as Christian people that, yes, you are a God of promise. And it means everything. It means everything, even if we don't have an answer today. It means everything. You, you're still there. You're still in charge. So thank you, Lord, for that, that hope that you give us and the encouragement you give us to live each and every day, knowing that we live under your umbrella of grace and under your care. In the meantime, under your grace and umbrella of care. Oh, Father, also give us, give us a mind, give us understanding to remember, Lord. Oh, forgive us, forgive me, and I forget. So easily I go sideways, so easily we go sideways, we forget. We forget, Lord, what you have done for us. Oh, remembrance, it's our calling. Oh, Father, help us to remember your goodness and your grace. Amen.